Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Paul Inst, my Mark Bowen. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm I'm very good. I, I'm you know what? I'm just absolutely delighted because the playoffs didn't disappoint. So I've just got a big grin on my face this morning. The playoffs mm. were the second legs, especially, were as dramatic as you'd expect and need in a playoff campaign. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we love the playoffs. It's the greatest spectacle in football for my eyes. I I can't think of anything which is better than it. It's just amazing, isn't it? There's the drama, the tension. <laughs> You can't get it anywhere else. No, that, that, that's what I mean. I was I was on the edge of my seat last night watching the, the Forest Sheffield United game and the same with the Huddersfield one. When balls were going in, I was like faux kicking the ball while I sat on the sofa. I was just, yeah, it was just one of them that just, just brings it out of you. If you're a football fan, the playoffs is absolutely necessary. If you're not a football fan, the playoffs is exactly what you need to get you into football. Absolutely. A whole season's work comes down to a handful of games. <laughs> exactly, it's amazing, isn't it? That's that's why it's so brilliant. And I don't understand why we don't see it more in other, you know, leagues and what have you. Why doesn't it happen in the Premier League, for example? I saw someone actually message us saying, "Why don't they have it for relegation? So they they have 18th versus 17th in the Premier League. That would be amazing if they had it in the Premier League." Because everything, be as we say, everything would come down to that game. And it would just be fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's the greatest spectacle in football, as far as I'm concerned. It's such a good idea. Whoever came up with it, we don't, <laughs> you don't really think about it, but whoever came up with the idea is an absolute genius and does not get enough praise from for my uh, for my liking. Um, but Justin, we're also recording ridiculously early this morning because uh, you're off to Germany, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to Munich. Um, it's a it's a work thing. It's not a jolly. I wish it was a jolly. Um, but yeah, this yeah up at uh, up at half five to bring our listeners some sweet sweet uh, sweet sweet tones. Sweet sweet tones. Yeah, I've got my early morning deep voice for everyone, <laughs> so they can hear what I love. We're, we're very like dehydrated, aren't we? Yes, very dehydrated <laughs> as well. Uh, but hopefully that'll get better as the show goes on. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to talk about the second legs of the playoff semi-finals. We now know who's on their way to Wembley. Congratulations to Forrest and Huddersfield. Got plenty of content for both sets of fans in the next few days. So we'll talk about both of the semi-final games. Then we'll look ahead to the final very briefly. Um, we'll have a more in-depth look in the coming days. Uh, we'll also have a chat about Luton and Sheffield United. What these results mean for them and how they'll look next season. And we'll also finish off with some of the news from the past few days as well. Plenty of news that's been happening despite the season being over. It's not relenting in any way, shape <laughs> or form. But before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at FansBets, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and courses which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out FansBet Responsible Gambling Tools. Nottingham Forest through to the playoff final after they beat Sheffield United on penalties. The hero was Brees Samba, saving three of them. Come of the hour, come of the man, Justin Peach. 
yeah, it's just I, I don't know I don't know how how we can sum up his performance in words because it was a one man display to get Forrest into that playoff final um, because yeah. Forrest weren't weren't at it especially in the the second half I think sort of yeah thirty minutes of that first half they they were they were very good but Sheffield United were probably largely the better team throughout the leg um, and yeah Bree Samba he he got them over the line with that strong right wrist of his it was an outstanding performance from a goalkeeper that I think goes under the radar um it can be a bit erratic at times but god you've got to love him especially now well that's the brilliance of Brees Semba isn't it everyone knows he has got a clangor in him occasionally because he is eccentric but he also is the most confident man exactly the whole of the championship (laughs) and when it comes to moments like this it really stands out. And he dominated that penalty shootout, didn't he? As soon as he saved the first one, I thought, oh, God. And then from that point, it just... It's like every so often you come across a goalkeeper who just knows what he's doing when it's a penalty shootout and he just becomes impenetrable. Like I'm thinking of Ricardo, who used to play for Portugal, for example. <laughs> That's exactly what happened with Brice Samba last night. Um, and when it came to the shithousery as well mm-hmm. with making the players wait for as long as possible to take the penalty. He was the hero 100% in that moment. And also worth mentioning as well, the ridiculous save he pulled off in extra time. His le- One of the studs on his left boot is <laughs> got to be put in the museum at Nottingham in some way, <laughs> shape or form because that was an unbelievable save, Justin. Yeah, sometimes I think saves like that go um, go unappreciated because people will just say it's just hit him. But actually, Samba's made himself absolutely massive. He's made himself massive. Um, and Ndai, to be fair to him, has, has, has managed to get it under him while, while Samba's coming out. And Samba, because he's made himself so big, he's got his toe on it. Or he's got his still on it. And he's, he's guided it away from the goal because... And there was one in the first half from Ndai as well where Gibbs White plays an absolutely beautiful ball with the outside of his right foot and Ndai's running on. And again, Samba makes himself as big as possible. So yeah, it was an unbelievable performance. And as I say, Samba, one-man wrecking crew getting Forrest into that playoff final because as I say, Forrest weren't quite at it in that second half. Um, and, and Chevy Knight had some really good chances and he, and he pulled off the saves they, they, they he needed to pull off to, to get them on the road to Wembley. The thing is, if his foot was maybe an inch any any in any other direction, he possibly wouldn't have saved that. It's such an unbelievable save. And as you say, it is about just making himself big. There is a big element of luck behind it as well, but you've got to be there to make the save. What did you make of the game as a whole then, Justin? I thought, I thought the game was brilliant. I thought the game was absolutely brilliant. From a neutral perspective, I imagine in the ground it was absolutely horrendous. Oh, yeah. um, I, I cannot imagine being a, a, any either a Forest fan or a Sheffield United fan in that in that game. Um, but yeah, I thought Sheffield United were, were were very good in the second half. I thought first half let them down again. I thought the first half in the first leg let them down as well. Um, key moments have really gone against um, Sheffield United in, in games in, in, in way of their defensive shape in the way they defended the goals as well, because Jack Robertson didn't really let Brennan Johnson have a sniff for most of the night, but the couple of times he did, Brennan Johnson got away, and obviously the one of the times he did, Brennan Johnson got ahead of him and, and scored from that Surridge cutback. Um, but, you know, the, the, the game was absolutely fantastic, and as I say, it's what you need in a playoff uh, campaign. Um, 
But I thought Sheffield United were, were the better side on the night. Um, but doesn't matter. Forest got to Forest got to Wembley. Yeah, for, they were much better than in the first leg, weren't they, Sheffield yeah, United? Because yeah. first leg, they were really, really poor and really should have been blown out of the water if it wasn't for Forrest's lack of finishing in that leg. But mm-hmm. here, they were much better, nearly overturned it. And if the game went on for maybe another 20 minutes, I uh, could have definitely seen Sheffield United get in um, through in this leg. But obviously, it went down to penalties. Forrest made the most of it. But I thought it was a brilliant game, same as you. As far as playoff semi-finals go, it's exactly what you want because it's end-to-end. <laughs> um, the tension's there as well. It was just great. Um, I thought Scott McKenna played really well uh, at the back for Forrest. I thought John Fleck played really well in midfield for Sheffield United. Yeah. I, I think they were just really, really important roles that everyone had to play in this. Um, I, I just thought it was a really, really good game and a really good um, advert for the playoffs as well and I suppose championship football to a, a longer extent as well. Um so yeah, a really, really good performance from both sides in some way, shape or form. Um, what more can you say? It was a beautiful, beautiful scene. Yeah, can I just add as well, the camera panning to David Johnson every three minutes <laughs> was so irritating and almost took away from the game a little bit. Um, yeah, the operator for Sky, can they not do that, please? That's really, especially when they get to Wembley. Um, yeah, it was, it was bizarre. Uh, at least we got to see his joy every five seconds, Justin. I mean, it's it's wonderful, uh, you know, a dad watching his son take his boyhood club to Wembley, um, you know, and his stock growing as a footballer. Um, it's absolutely lovely seeing his, you know, the, the pride on his dad's face, but... Every five minutes was a bit excessive, wasn't it? <laughs> I can see what you mean. Uh, after the game, Paul Heckingbottom said Billy Sharp was assaulted while leaving the pitch. He says he shook up, bleeding and angry. Forrester apologised and said they will work with the authorities to locate and ban the individual. I also saw a video on social media as well of Jack Robinson being mm. uh, confronted by a Forest fan after the game as well. It's a bit of a shame because he's not overshadowed it, but it's marred it a bit, hasn't it? But Definitely. Yeah. We'll see what comes of that. Let's go to the other game. Huddersfield will be the team Forest face at Wembley. It's after they beat Luton 1-0. 2-1 on aggregate. Jordan Rhodes getting the goal. The man has scored plenty of goals in his time at Huddersfield, hasn't he, Justin? But this will, without a doubt, be the most important one he's got in a blue and white shirt. Oh, without doubt. Because the the game, again, was, was heading to extra time. It didn't look like either team had... The ability to put the ball in the back of the net because the game the game was tight. The game was quite open, but it was tight in that sense as well. I think both keepers were were, were relatively busy, um, but there was nothing huge on the card until that ball came in from Silver Thomas. But that's what you need in a tight game. You need a little bit of quality and a man who's very good at his craft, i.e. Jordan Rhodes, just getting his toe on the end of a, a beautiful ball in from Silver Thomas. But... Yeah, credit to, again, credit to both teams because this was a really good game as well. Um, and I think Luton, um, again, Luton were probably, they made it very uncomfortable for Huddersfield because in possession, I thought Huddersfield were, were really, really poor. Didn't look like they could get a couple of passes together, especially in the first half. Um, but again, Luton struggling with injuries. Didn't think they had quite enough to, to get them over the line. Huddersfield 
brought on Silver Thomas and it and it changed the game in their favour because it as I say it just you just need that one moment of uh, of quality and that was that ball in from Silver Thomas. Can we just focus on Thomas for a sec, Justin? <laughs> because when you talk about players who can put it on a sixpence, he is that player, isn't he? The deliveries he's able to put in, but he's able to do it with such accuracy, but at the same time, such pace on the ball as well to beat all the other defenders. He is, when it comes to set pieces, I don't think there's a better player in the division at crossing it in like that. No, um, I, I, I can't. You can't disagree. I, the amount of um, the amount of chances he's created, he's, he's up there in terms of um, yeah, key passes in the league, chances created in the league because of his ability from set pieces. It's really, really frightening how consistent his deliveries are. Um, and when we talk about you know world class players doing it on a on a weekly basis, or sorry, on a consistent basis in a game, um, I'm not saying Saul Thomas is world class, but his delivery is getting there. I've, 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 I struggle to recall a player who can consistently do it like him. Um, yeah. And the ball in, the ball in, he put for the goal as well. It wasn't a lofted ball; it was a driven sort of drive. They put it at the far post, wasn't it? Yeah, but it wasn't high; it was low, and that's that was the brilliant thing for it. It was just an inch too high for it to be headed away, but perfect enough for it to drop to Jordan Rhodes at the far post it was it was quite yeah quite frightening how good his ability is from set pieces and we spoke about it all season but for him to do it on that occasion is yeah yeah ridiculously talented yeah I how someone's changed the game just by being able to cross it is uh quite <laughs> impressive because the game really did swing in Huddersfield's favour when he came on but overall I thought it was a good game I thought Luton were perhaps the better side over the 90 minutes but simply couldn't make it pay that's possibly down to Huddersfield's defending which I thought was excellence the man in particular who stood out for me was the one who's done it on many occasions this season Justin Levi Cole absolutely top class again youngest player on the pitch but you would have mm-hmm. not guessed it from the performance that he put in and with Chelsea's defensive crisis going on at the moment, honestly, would not be surprised to see him featuring for Chelsea next season. If I was Thomas Tuchel, I'd be at least getting him in the squad every game. I think he's definitely capable of making the step up. Obviously, he's still 19, a lot of developing to do, but if Chelsea are keen to give youngsters a go, then I can't imagine they've got many youngsters better than him. He's unbelievable, Justin. I love the guy so much. But I thought it was a really professional performance from Carlos uh, Corbrand's boys. I think he will, in particular, be really proud of what his players put in. No, without doubt. Um, they did what exactly they, they, they're they very good at. They, they they kept the game tight. They kept the game at 0-0. I know Luton had a, a good couple of chances, but they, they, um, they did enough. They did what they needed to do. And that's pretty much Huddersfield's game plan um, in, in, in the greatest respect. You know, they, they try and keep things tight. They try and keep the game 0-0. And they rely on little moments of quality to, to get them through. Uh, to get them through. And that, that came with um, the Jordan Rhodes finish and the Silver Thomas delivery. But yeah, I think the only thing you'd, you'd be critical of that uh, performance was how poor they were at times in possession when faced with quite an intense press from from Luton at times. It's quite hard to sustain that, but Luton did a, a very good job of it, and they made it incredibly awkward for Huddersfield. They made it really difficult. And as I say, I think if Luton had a little bit more quality, maybe a fully fit squad, it may have been a different result. Yeah, well, that's one thing that needs to get mentioned, isn't it? That Luton have suffered so much with injury. Mm-hmm. Elijah Adebayo has been a, such a key player for them, but only managed to come off the bench in this game and 
didn't look 100% fit when he came on, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> um, any, anything else you want to add from a Luton perspective? We haven't really spoken about them much here. I, again, it was a really good performance over the two legs. I get, they were probably the, the slightly better side over the two legs. I, I think it's really hard to judge Luton because of just how many injuries they've got. You know, With the greatest respect to Danny Hilton, I think he was there just to wear down Huddersfield, to run his, to run his arse off. Um, so Cameron Jerome can come in and, and do something different. But that, by that point, Harry Cornick's probably a little bit tired, not quite at his best. So you're not going to see the best out of him. So it's really hard to judge where Luton are based on these two games. But what you can say is they've been absolutely terrific and they've been well worth their, their place in the top six because, again, the performances they put in were just a little bit more quality that comes from returning players. I think they get to Wembley. One thing I will say, right? is I saw a lot of delight on social media after the game at Luton <laughs> and more specifically Nathan Jones losing. I don't share the disdain towards him at all. I, I don't really get why he's such a divisive figure. I suppose I'm guessing it's his post-match interviews because if you're an opposition fan, he might rub you up the wrong way. But personally, I think he's box office. I, I love just mm. seeing what he has to say after every game because he says something interesting and when it comes you know to seeing him on the touchline as well the man must burn a thousand calories per game because he's just constantly on the move all the time I, I think in a way he's, he's a bit like a modern day Neil Warnock in I the way that. that opposition fans may hate him now but in the long term I think people may grow to appreciate him and realise that as an opposition fan you may dislike him but if you had him on as your manager, mm-hmm. then you'd actually quite like him. Stoke fans may disagree with that, but um, <laughs> I think he's just a brilliant manager and he's done a fantastic job this season. And I think that should be respected. And I don't think any of the comments he comes out with after the game should uh, be held against him because without a doubt, such a good manager and the job he's done this season. Unbelievable, isn't it? A quick few words on the final then, Justin. We'll have a more in-depth chat in the coming days. Uh, but what are your immediate thoughts having watched these four games? Yeah, it's one that sparks a lot of interest. I think it's a it's a difficult game for Forest and obviously for Huddersfield as well. I mean, it's a playoff final, both are good teams. Um, but the way Huddersfield play in the sense that they don't allow teams to um, counter-attack them, it's, it's going to be a difficult one for Forest. But at the same time, with the the the, the ability Forest have got, they've got a little bit more time to get Keane and Davis um, back to 100% fitness because you saw how good he was against Sheffield United. How again, almost swung the game in Forest's favour. Um, his runs are ridiculous, so it's, it gives him gives him a chance to get him fit and fit and firing for the final. So it's it's a hard one to call, but it's one I'm really looking forward to from a tactical perspective because there are two very good managers here both young managers as well with their stocks rising um going up against each other with with teams who they they deserve their place in the final absolutely and they deserve to be where they are because they've done it <clears throat> they've done some remarkable things this season and that needs to be that needs to be lauded i'm glad that it's these two sides who are in the final personally just because over the course of the season they've been the two best teams in the division haven't they mm-hmm. um out of the ones who haven't been promoted um, obviously you can say that by just looking at the table but in terms of what we've seen on the pitch as well they just have um, Forrest may even make an argument that they should have gone up automatically if it wasn't for the first seven games of the season but I'm glad that it's these two teams and it's 
so hard to call. I completely agree with you. I saw plenty from both in both legs to indicate that they've got positives, got negatives. Which way it's going to go? Not too sure, Justin. I'm really not. We'll have more of a chat about it in the next episode, whenever that may be. Uh, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the teams who haven't gone up and then finish off with some of the news in the Championship from the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We'd just like to apologise because Justin informed me during the break that I've got a wet mouth. Um, And by that, (laughs) he means every so often when I open my mouth, you can really hear my mouth opening. (laughs) So I apologise to anyone who's got their headphones in. Um, Justin, let's have a quick chat about the teams who will be staying with us in the Championship next season. Of course, Luton, Sheffield United. We'll start with Luton. They've been on this meteoric rise, haven't they? from National League to where they are now. And they've been going up progressively every season, apart from the one under Nathan Jones, I think I'm right in saying that. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, what do you see them doing next season? Do you think they will continue that rise or do you think they'll stay where they are? Or do you think they'll maybe even regress? Um, I I don't think they'll regress. Um, I think they will compete again for the playoffs next season. And I think they will they will build and go again because they've they've set some really good foundations for themselves. Um, it's, it's it's really unbelievable what they've managed to do, and it's not it's not just when you consider the fact that they 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 are they do have a, a small ground, they do have a low uh, a small budget, but it's the fact that you've got someone like Alijay Debayo, for example, who's been absolutely outstanding this season. I think they bought him for. I don't know. I want to say less than five hundred thousand, for example. Around that, yeah, less than a million, which is good in a championship sense. They're potentially going to sell him for six, seven, eight, nine million pounds. Can you imagine what that's going to do to Nathan Jones and his budget and his ability to go out and get players in his squad and improve his squad no end? So I can't see them regressing, um, and I can't see them, but I can't see them going any any higher at the moment either. Um, but for me, I think yeah, what they've done this season, they, they've they've set some some expectations for themselves, and also they've they've told the division what they can do and what they're about. Um, and I think again, with a little bit more quality, I can see Luton doing really well. But it just yeah, what does that quality come at the cost of? Is it the cost of selling one of their star players, or is it um, at the cost of increasing their budget? That's the, they're the question marks, and they don't impact what happens for Luton, but. All you can say is you can trust what they're going to do because they're in the right hands with the recruitment team, with the ownership and Nathan Jones. I don't see them regressing either. I think they'll definitely be challenging for the playoffs next season. I wouldn't rule them out of challenging for the top two even just because they have had that constant progression. And the one thing you can say with Luton is I struggle to see them losing any major stars. Adebayo may be the one who goes, but at the same time, I think it's more likely that he'll stay. And as you say, if he does go for five or six million or what have you, then Luton's recruitment is so good, then that will give them more breathing space to bring in quality players. Because the recruitment's arguably the best in the division, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And when you've got the squad they've got now, which I can't see being much weaker than it is this season added with a summer's worth of recruitment 
Luton will definitely be up there again next season. This isn't just a one-off season like we saw with Barnsley. They will go again. So I'm really excited about Luton's continued progression um, and the continued fact that we may see Kenilworth Road in the Premier League soon, Justin. Um, (laughs) I think it's going to happen at some point, uh, Luton being in the top flight. I think sometimes you just get a vibe from a club, don't you, that they're going in the right direction. And it's difficult to stop a side from doing that, especially one that is doing it the right way in terms of spending um, shrewdly and not risking everything, gambling everything like certain clubs in the championship. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Luton will be a Premier League side at some point. That's the top line. Whether it's next season, not sure, but they will definitely be in contention for promotion again next season. I can assure people of that. Sheffield United are an interesting one, aren't they? Um, what were you standing with them heading into next season, Justin? It was it was a weird one because the fact that Ellen Mendai and Morgan Gibbs White were leading the line, they were still creating good chances. But you could see that at times this is against Forest. You could see at times when the ball got into wide areas, there was just those two in the box. There wasn't much to aim for. Um, the what I'm getting at is. You know, Sheffield United managed to push Forrest to, to the penalty to a penalty shootout with no strikers, um, with no orthodox number nine, with no orthodox striker, um, and I think again with a with a fully fit squad, I'm interested to what to see what Heckenbottom can do because I think it was around sort of mid January we were thinking a lot of games in hand here for Sheffield United. I think we think they can they can push for the automatics, um, but obviously injuries impacted the team. Results dropped off a little bit. But they still got into the top six, so I think yeah, I think with a fully fit squad, um, I think I think they need some younger additions, a bit more energy, a bit more pace in the team, especially at left wing back. Um, I think they can yeah they can really they can really take on next season again challenge for the automatics under Paul Hackingbottom because I liked what I saw it's in spells um, throughout the playoffs and I think Hackingbottom's done enough to assure people that he is the man to, to, to lead them into the to, a, to an automatic push next season because they've got the ability in the squad to do it. They, they absolutely do. And especially if you get someone like Billy Sharp back into that team, changes the dynamic and how they play. Yeah, I think Heckerbottom is really showing that he's a, a really good manager at this level. He may not um, attract as much praise as other managers in the division, but he's done a sterling job, hasn't he, since coming mm-hmm. in. And I'm very happy with Sheffield United giving him the reins next season. Looking at the squad, it's going to be interesting. Of course, losing Morgan Gibbs-White is going to be a massive blow. How you replace someone (laughs) as good as him, I'm not really too sure because he has been such a live wire for them all season, ever since he came in, really. So he's going to be a difficult one to replace. Um, And that leaves me a bit worried about them going forwards. Because creativity has been a problem this season. Quite often they have relied on Gibbs White being the person to add something in the final third. Having said that, Iliman Ndai, I think, will be a much better player next season. He's been good this season, but I think he'll be a real key mm-hmm. player for them over the course of next season. Um, I do think they have got strength in certain areas because the squad is ageing um, likes of John Fleck for example example, I know he scored last night but I think his best days are certainly behind him and he's one player I'd be looking to replace next season um, they t- it's amazing that I'm saying they need to strengthen the striker position but I think they do yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, because Billy, Billy Sharp's not getting any younger unfortunately um, 
But I, I, again, Sheffield United with their resources, they'll be challenging for the top six at the very least again next season. It's just about what they do in the summer because I think recruitment's going to be really important for them. Obviously, meant replacing in the areas I've just mentioned, but uh, you know, strengthening in the areas um, that have needed strengthening in quite some time mm-hmm. is going to be interesting for them as well. So I, I'm feeling positive about them heading into next season again just now I think I can see them having a kind of similar season to maybe what Bournemouth have had yeah potentially um again I think you're right they do need to strengthen in in, in certain areas and there does need to be some sort of um succession plan with with the older players you look at Chris Passion for example I mean he was brilliant against Forest um but again he's a a player who's not getting any younger so yeah I think I think recruiting in the right areas will, will see them go a lot a lot further um but yeah, similar season to, to what Bournemouth had. Yeah, I can see it. Um, I don't think, obviously, it's a championship. Things aren't as cut and dry as that, but they certainly have got the quality um, in on the pitch and the quality in, uh, with the manager as well, Paul Hackingbottom. It's just about what they can do off the pitch with recruitment and getting us outside and, and making sure the physio department isn't as busy next season. Yeah, sorting out the training ground will have to be a priority. <laughs> of course, there have been rumours of a takeover happening there as well, mm-hmm. so they'll hopefully be getting that sorted out sooner rather than later because you don't want it dragging on across the whole of the summer and potentially stopping recruitment when that's going to be so important for them. Uh, Justin, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and... Very different story for us to start on. Justin, a championship player has become the first professional footballer in Britain to come out as gay. For more than 30 years, Blackpool striker Jake Daniels has received praise from all over the place for doing so, including from royalty and politicians. The 17-year-old says it would allow him to be free and confident. I think it's wonderful news. Justin, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's I think it's brilliant news. Um, I, I you've got to upheld the the courage that a seventeen year old is showing in this in this um, modern sort of football world that we've got and and society as well. Actually, um, I think it'd be great to get to a point where you know play, players or you know, just individuals don't have to announce these things. You know, it's one person's orientation. It doesn't mean anything to anybody else. But obviously, you know, if, if we get to a point where people could just live as they are without needing to say things that'd be absolutely fantastic because it's it's a completely normal thing um and i uh, hopefully hopefully it does change um does change the, the the overall attitude i think from the stands and um that perception that it brings as well i think it, it needs to happen and hopefully uh, this serves as a, a really good marker for what is moving forward yeah, I've heard a few people say it shouldn't be a big deal, and I get that. It shouldn't be mm. a big deal. Someone just saying, this is who I am, shouldn't be mm. a big deal. But the fact of the matter that it is, just because it's been going on for so long that we haven't had a gay footballer in professional football, and it's statistically impossible for there to be no gay professional footballers in the game mm. right now. Why is that? I'm guessing it's simply down to... The fact that they're worried about the abuse they'll get, which is sadly going to happen. It's something I imagine Jake will probably suffer at some point, unfortunately, because some football supporters are idiots. But he's been brilliantly brave, and hopefully this will encourage more players to do the same. Um, And for a 17-year-old lad to be doing this, Mm -hmm. 17, Justin... It's amazing. And the support he's got for doing so will hopefully encourage more players to do the same and show who they really are. Because 
obviously it's no one else's business, which is fine, but having the courage to do it and not have a fear of being judged, I, I, that's important, I think. So, yeah, well done to Jake, and uh, hopefully this is just the first of many having the, the courage to come out and show who they really are. Paul Lintz has been given the Reading job on a permanent basis, Justin. It's after he guided the Royals to safety. Your thoughts on this one? <laughs> um, I think he deserves his chance. Uh, I really do, and I know I've yeah I've given him a fair bit of stick this season, but I think considering where Reading were and what he did with them, I know he didn't do a lot, but he actually they were they were going down under Paunovic and they, they were going to get relegated because results were horrendous. Defending was out of this world sort of poor. It was really bad. Um, so for him to, to make some big decisions, John Swift didn't get a sniff under him. Um, Tom Ince played some of the best football for a long time under his dad. I think he does deserve his chance. Um, it does come with the obvious caveats that it is Paul Ince and he does say some random random stuff and do some random stuff with his teams but if it gets results it doesn't matter I think it's very uninspiring <laughs> sure he's kept them up and they've stayed up with the lowest points tally a championship team has ever had um, but that's it they stayed up with the lowest points tally a team's ever had yes he wasn't in charge for the whole season but I can't say I saw a vast improvement under Rince it got better but it couldn't have got much worse than it was under Panovic because they were losing pretty much every game. Ince got 15 points from 14 games, Justin. That's not an amazing tally by any stretch of the imagination, is it? So what is the plan here from Reading? I have got no idea. Is it the plan to just give him for the next season? Because I, I couldn't find for the life of me how long this contract actually is. I'm guessing it's just for the next season. But for a, a club who's just so on in a spiral as Reading, it doesn't make me think any different that they're not going to go down next season because it, this appointment in my eyes makes them the automatic favourites to go down next season out of the teams who were in the championship this season the side's much weaker as it is and they've got a manager in who 15 points from 14 games Justin it's, it's really not good so yeah I, I'm really unimpressed with this appointment I, I think the Reading hierarchy have perhaps been taken aback but well they've perhaps been I don't know swindled for the lack of a better term by incense the way he's managed to charm them I, I don't know it's I, I really don't <laughs> understand I, I don't understand what the thinking is behind this appointment Justin no I, I understand I, I I get that um there's a there's some skepticism with the with the appointment um but the the, the club is is Heading in a better direction, obviously Mark Bowen coming back as a head of football, I think is is useful. Um, and, and I'm not saying anything against Mark Bowen and his appointment, um, but I don't see where you're getting the, the club's heading in a better direction from at all. Because they didn't have a manager, they didn't have a head of football, they didn't have a direction off the pitch, and now they they've got some semblance of that. Especially is that, with, is that all it takes for you to show that they're going in the right direction? They, I didn't say they're going in the right direction. They're going in a better direction than they were. Because as I say... They've gone from that to that. <laughs> exactly. They've gone from near vertical drop to slight to slight curve. Um, it will take a lot more for them to flatline. Um, but I do I do think they are in a better position than they were a week ago, Say saying that. 
um, which yeah, a week's a long time in football. But if they can get recruitment right, um, I mean, Marbo might have the job by November. You never know. Wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. But that brings me very nicely on to Mark Bowen's back at the club. He's the head of football operations there. We spoke to him last year for a second tier meets, so I definitely recommend going back and listening to that for any Reading fans or any football fans in general who want to hear what he's got to say for his time at the club last time. Chris Kirchner is set to officially become the new owner of Derby after exchanging contracts for the sale of the club. He's now funding the running of the Rams. However, there is still no agreement with former owner Mel Morris for the sale of Pride Park and the purchase of Derby remains subject to that agreement. If no agreement over the stadium is made, Kirchner can still withdraw his plans to buy the club. But Justin, headline is, we're nearly there. It seems like it's only going to be a matter of days until we can finally stop talking about Derby's bloody takeover because it seems to have been going on for a year and a half now. It feels longer than that. But at what point do we stop talking about Derby's takeover? Obviously, they'll they'll become a League One side and we cover the championship. So will the takeover happen before that transition into that fully-fledged League One team? I suppose they're a fully-fledged League One team now, but because they're... You know, we're still talking about the championship season past. They're still a championship side in our eyes. So they've got into the playoff final, but um, it is it is better news for me. This is just an overextension. Um, nothing's changed other than Kirchner agreeing to fund the club. So I mean, he must be confident that something's going to be settled. That's quite a big step, Justin. It is. It is a big step, absolutely. But I mean, it's in it's in Kirchner's best interests to ensure that Rooney is happy to ensure that players are tied down to new deals but nothing can happen until Mel Morris says says so because he's he's got the hold over the stadium it's as simple as that it's just another extension and I'm I am cynical because of what's happened over the last eight months with Quantuma and the whole process it's been absolutely ridiculous and you know I've said it before I think Quantuma don't get near another football administration again because what they've done has been a disgrace to a football club and and this is the position we're in. We're, we're weeks away from Derby going essentially out of business and relying on a man who put them in this position to, to bail them out, essentially. I, I won't disagree with you on Quantuma. I think maybe a discussion needs to be had about that at some point. But um, I, I think when it comes to Derby's takeover, you've got to take any positives that you can. And the <laughs> fact that we've had this, Chris Kirchner is now funding the club, funding the running of the club, which I think makes it a lot puts it on a lot more stable footing that's a good sign and considering Derby haven't had many good signs behind the scenes I think you can only you know you've got to take moments like this and really appreciate it of course the Mel Morris thing what on earth he's playing I have no idea hopefully it gets sorted out soon because it just I don't see what what he's getting out of it at all Um, he's already destroyed or nearly destroyed the club that he supposedly supports. Just give over, mate. Just put put them out of the misery. Just piss off. Um, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> uh, transfer news. St Mirren goalkeeper Jack Anik has signed for Cardiff their second new addition after bringing in Ebu Adams. Bristol City have signed Oxford midfielder Mark Sykes. The 24-year-old joins on a free after his contract expired. Anything on that one, Justin? Yeah, that's a, that's a good signing. Bristol City definitely heading the, in the right direction. They've missed a little bit of creativity in midfield, um, a little bit of mobility as well, and he, he brings both of those, and he's a player who's capable of making that step up. Um, played in a really good attacking team under Carl Robinson, so I'm interested to see what he can do with the likes of Vyman Martin and Semenya ahead of him. 
sticking with Bristol City. Callum O'Dowd has been released from the club after six years there. I really liked him in his first couple of years at Bristol City, but it's not a shock that he's left, is it? Because he's just simply not played well enough for quite some time, has he? Yeah, not consistent enough either. He's one of those players who's been held back a fair bit by injuries as well. Um, but he's one of those where you look, at, he's got so much quality, but at, I, at no point can you think back to anything remarkable that he's done. Um, and I think that's just because he's not been able to get a consistent run of form in games together to really showcase what he's about, partly down to form, partly down to injuries. Um, it's unfortunate, but hopefully he can find somewhere that can that can reignite the the quality that he's got because he's got it. He scored a marvellous goal against Norwich a few seasons ago. That's the one yeah. moment I remember from him. But the fact that he's only 27 as well, he's coming up to his prime years and he's now a free agent. I'm not sure. Do you think that he could still be a good player at championship level? Yeah, I think I think, um, I think think there'll be championship clubs in for him. I think League One will be one of those situations where if it gets to the end of the summer and League One club offers him a contract, he'll probably take it. But I don't think he'll get to that. I think, yeah, I think he'll be snapped up quite quickly, to be honest with you. Um, I won't be surprised to see him. Uh, yeah, it is, it's a great it's a great question. Um, there are plenty of teams that could be in for him. Cardiff might be a good fit. They they need a bit of pace and creativity in, in wide areas. Um, so he might be a good fit for, for Cardiff, for example. Um, but yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be takers. They'll always be takers for a player of his quality on a free transfer. Nick Powell and Mario Vrancic have agreed to, to extend their deals with Stoke City until the end of next season. Their original contracts are due to end this summer. And finally, West Brom's semi Ajayi has done the same at the Hawthorns too. And there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the second tier podcast wrapped up for midweek. We've had a chat about the playoff semi-finals and now all attention is towards the playoff final in a week and a half time. Um, so we'll have... Uh, a preview of that coming up in the coming days when that's coming out I'm not sure um thinking Sunday but <laughs> you'll find out when you see it in your podcast feed um <laughs> so we'll have a preview of that coming up very soon I can show people of that um so we'll look ahead to that in the coming days ladies and gentlemen but this has been the second tier podcast we look forward to seeing you again very soon I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach thank you for listening mm-hmm.